And anyone who says they do is terrorist. Fair enough. Well, anyway, so that's what we did today, which was quite exciting. I'm a bit worried now. Why? Because I've I've got these shelves, and I'm not sure how strong they are, and I've put a big box right above your head. Oh my god, I hadn't only just noticed that. Well, the the more worrying thing is the actual planks of wood are not in any way affixed to the brackets. Yeah. Which they should be. Actually, we could fix that. That's that's a very easy fix. That's a couple of screws. Yeah, yeah, it is. We could totally do that. Yeah, we're we not just gonna. haven't. We just haven't. Probably won't. Probably won't. Let's um, be fair. No. Hey up! I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with this story starts. Hmm. On October the 1st. Oh, my birthday. It's a good day. It's the best day of the year. 1814. Who's on the throne, Joe? Uh, we're in the Georgian era. Emma. Mm. Although we'll be spending most of our time in the Victorian era. Thank let's you. be fair. Because that was the day... Here we are again. Because that was the day that a little boy called Jonathan Witcher was born. All right. In Camberwell, South London. Yeah. His father was a gardener and made enough money that the family were happily above the line of destitution and were merely very, very poor. It's probably the best you could hope for. They were getting some food of questionable quality most days, so it's all good. Yeah. We don't know much about Jonathan's childhood, although he mm-hmm. must have received some level of schooling as Jonathan was able to read and write, which seemed a bit superfluous as when he reached his teens, he began working as a labourer all over South London. Oh, right. And I assume at that time, labourers didn't really need a lot of reading and writing and arithmetic. I don't think, unless you were like um, the person in charge, you know, like a site manager, if Mm. you will. I don't know whether that's what they would have called them then, but unless you were like a site manager or somebody who'd have to hold documents, paperwork, sign things, you wouldn't need any kind of... Reading, writing, arithmetic. Well, he had those readings and writings. Arithmetic? And he felt, well, I don't know. I assume so. Mm. He felt that he was destined for better things. He'd taken the job as a day labourer, but he's like, this is this is just a, a stopgap. Okay. Aim high. Okay. Yeah. Well, not... Bit of ambition. He's aiming higher than labourer. Okay. You know, I mean, he's not saying, I will be king. No, Prime Minister, I, think that I would, could do that job. That would be stupid. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with a bit of ambition. He wanted to be a ballerina. No. No, no. It would have been a great story if he had. It would have been. But <laughs> that little boy was Wayne Sleep. <laughs> he, did, he did want to better himself. And Go luckily on. for little Jonathan, he'd been born at the right time to take advantage of a brand new career. Mm-hmm that offered the opportunity for advancement and potential acceptance into the middle classes. Oh, let me guess. Can I have three guesses? You can have three guesses. I love a three guess. Right, um, accountant. No, that's quite an old career. Okay, as would bank clerk be. Yes. Um, Dentist. No, we've had dentists for a while. They were barber surgeons would, would do dentistry. I, I, yeah, but I mean, it's like a specific dentist, like that would be... Oh, oh, like like we have now. Like yeah, like Royal we College have now, yes. No, right, no, okay. no. 
Okay. Sorry, he's not going to be I'm a Because I'm just thinking, no, like, let's just kind of like move it along. Would they at that point have had dentists? No. I'm, okay. I'm, I don't know if it was still separate or if it would just be uh, something the Jeep, you know, your general practitioner or your family doctor would just go in and have a dabble. Whip, whip him out. It was mainly whipping out, you imagine. Yeah. Um, I don't think they were doing root canal at this point. I'm going to say something really, really random now, but this is like almost like like some weird something's telling me mm. opening something like butlins. That is very left field, <laughs> isn't it? You know, like like a holiday camp. I mean, like it's, an owner of a holiday camp. I mean, it's not, but I like where you went. No, okay. He was going to take advantage of the fact that the brand new. Metropolitan Police Force had just become a thing. Oh. So we just opened the Met. He applied to become a policeman officer. Mm-hmm. At eight... <laughs> That's what our little boy calls them. Yep. <laughs> policeman officers. On the 18th of September, 1837. Oh, I know who he is. Which I'm was so only... excited. I've never... Sorry, that's my stomach growling with excitement. I've never been more excited in my entire life. You don't you don't know. I do. Okay. I do. This was only 8 years after the first 3500 brave souls had joined the new organization. He had only waited so long as there was a minimum age requirement of 22. All right, okay. And you know, even when he applied he was barely old enough. He was like as soon as he could, he was right in there. Joining the Met. Not only was he barely old enough, he was also barely tall enough as there was also a minimum height requirement at the time. Oh, you're going to be... You, I'm going to be disgusted. It's going to be five foot four, isn't it? Five foot seven. I couldn't be a policeman officer, and neither could you. <laughs> no. Although you for completely different reasons. <laughs> I'd be a terrible policewoman officer. Well, there were no policewoman officers. I know. You own a vagina? How <laughs> dare you want to uphold the law? When did the WPCs start? I don't think it was... Um, I think you're waiting until the 20th century, at least... Because I'm just thinking, I'm going back to my beloved life on Mars slash. Well, ashes that was to the ashes. 60s, wasn't it? 70s. That was the seven. It was 1973. The original. The original, the life on Mars and WPCs, because she was WPC Cartwright, wasn't she? She the, was the lady. Yes. So. Before that. Slightly before that, but probably. Well, I'm going to say I'm going to say just after World War Two. Okay. So I reckon probably that. Well, you can look that up afterwards. I will. I'm very You've got your idea. I've got my ideas now. <laughs> yeah, he was reportedly five foot eight. Although that might have been with shoesies. It might have been one <laughs> of those... lifty he... heels. Yeah. Well, back in the day, they'd have those little boots. Like, um, with the... Now, they weren't buttons, but they were kind of like a button buckle fastening. And you'd, you'd have a special... Have you seen them? Boot fasteners they're like a long this is an actual thing now i know this sounds like a, a bit of a weird one right but in the georgian and victorian eras to do up your boots you'd have like a long metal stick with a hook on it to do your boots up and right. people who wore boots like fancy boots all the time could do them really really quickly but they were actually like almost like a covered button slash buckle hook fastening and you do it with that you'd sit down okay and do it like that i don't i don't know but they'd have a heel they would have a heel so the important thing to to note here is that i don't know why there was a height requirement considering at the time 
the new police uniform included a stovepipe hat. So you got the extra height in your headwear. I'm going to say, because the trousers were a certain length, at least. <laughs> so just out of... Can you, can you hem them? No, no. No, 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 no. The, the trousers we've bulk ordered. Mm. So... And you have to be at least this height, otherwise you will not fit the trousers. <laughs> Maybe. That's what I'd do, yeah. I'd, I'd buy the trousers first and then hire the personnel to fit the trousers. I wonder whether it's something to do with horses. Not being able to ride a horse. Well, these guys didn't ride horses. Okay. They were I'm just beat, thinking they were beat the police. mounted police. No, these weren't no. mounties. Okay, what about they might consider... Long... <laughs> I'm going to say something really stupid now. Taller people could run quicker. Well, I've proved that's not the case. <laughs> don't don't spit too much of your tea back in there. You know me. That I'm... nearly came out of my nose. <laughs> I'm, I'm quick. Sorry, sorry. Too fat to fit box. Uh, currently. Currently. If I was a policeman officer, I'd be kept, <laughs> I'd be kept trim and fast. Oh, could they? Were the bikes? No, no. Okay. This is this is well. Then I don't know. Bikes bikes existed. Yeah. Um, but they weren't using them. Mm-hmm. As he was single, we're going to try and move the story along a bit because I'm on like paragraph three. Oh my god. Yep. As he was single, Witcher was expected to live at the station house with up to 16 other young bachelors. There were strict rules on when he had to be in the dormitory, and he could be reprimanded if he was found to be drunk at any time, either on or off duty. Wow. To the point where apparently two-thirds of all dismissals in those early years were due to the guys just getting drunk on the day off and being seen. Then I'm not being funny, but what the hell happened in the 70s because people just did not give a shit. Yeah. Well... I mean, you've got over a hundred years between this and then, so I'm guessing. So in a hundred years, standards slipped. In some ways, in other ways, they improved. <laughs> it's always Did a they? Act. Did they? There's a there's a talk Look, for this another is day. not life on Mars. We are in early Victorian <laughs> what Britain a shame. now. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, there was also a rule forbidding any policeman officer from growing a moustache or a beard. Which is why, when you see the old-timey photos, all the police seem to have mutton chops. Because they want to express oh, no, themselves that's facially. interesting. But they're not allowed a moustache or a, a, a beard. And they found the sort of, like, uh, the loophole. The hinterland. Yes. The chop. The chop. So that's why the mutton chop is so inexorably Leasy. linked with the police, yes. How interesting. I wonder when that changed. Mm-hmm. Has it changed? I believe it has i've seen policemen with beards at least he said he was a policeman i haven't he searched me (laughs) his his colleagues took to calling him jack rather than jonathan and the very uninventive nickname stuck with him for the rest of his life so from this point on he's jack witcher okay we're not going back to jonathan all right jack jack's beat i bet it was a jack the lad well, Jack's Beat was the slum district of St Giles in Holborn, a labyrinth of alleyways and hidden passages that ran through interconnected attics and cellars. I don't know that bit of London. No. Uh, well, apparently it was a thieves' paradise, and he was expected to patrol up to seven miles of it on his own each day, and he had to pass each point twice during his beat. Right. That's that's how you finished your beat. It was literally once you've done that you are allowed to come back to the station house. Right, so that'd be 14 miles a He's day. walking 14 miles a day, yeah. Jesus Christ. Over an eight-hour beat. Quick, do the math. 
I don't know. He was walking. He was walking briskly for, for a long time. Is what yeah. he was doing. Though he did get a day off from this in 1838 to line the route to Buckingham Palace during the coronation of Queen Victoria. There she is. There she is. Misery guts. Which he would have been stood there, you know, stone faced, holding back the crowds. This mm. was back when she was happy. Yeah. She had I, her Albert and she was happy. She had her Albert. Yeah, I still call her Misery Guts. I'm sorry, because she was. Now, the first mention of Witcher in print was following his arrest of a housemaid in 1840. What's she done? Well, she'd stolen from her employer before she absconded. Off she went. Well, she didn't get very far, did she? No, because Jack caught Louisa Weller two weeks after the theft, after seeing her wearing a feather boa. <laughs> and recalling <laughs> that this... Dead subtle, then. It was one of the items that had been stolen. And this oh, was like, God. you know... I thought she'd, she'd stolen some money, cashed it, or, or like a, an item, cashed it in and bought a feather boa. I mean... <laughs> no, 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 she'd stolen the feather ridiculous. boa. ridiculous. But the thing is, you know, she was still wearing sort of lower class mm-hmm. clothes and mm-hmm. she was hanging around a gin bar oh in God. a very rough area of London, just in a feather boa. And he's like, hmm, that seems out of place. Yeah. <laughs> So he just it just went over and she copped to the lot. She's like, yeah. oh no, how did you ever catch me? I copped it. His ability to notice minute discrepancies and errors was apparently uncanny. Mm. With it reported that he once entered a busy pub and noticed a man furtively glancing at him. On a pure hunch, he approached the man and told him, I know who you are. The game's up, mate. The man immediately confessed to the stealing of a horse, which of course Witcher had known nothing about. But he was more than happy to accept the confession and make the arrest. So he's that just like, amazing. that guy looks like he's done some. That I'm man go looks the... really shifty. I'm just going on absolute hunch and no evidence that he's done some. And this is ballsy move because he's in a rough pub and he's just yeah. accusing a guy. The reason that the police had those, you know, those really high collars, mm. they were really thick as well, was in case of garroting. Yeah. So it was basically like a special anti-garrot collar that they wore mm. because... It was such. They were reinforced. Yeah, it was such a rough sort of place to be, and he's just walking up to random people and accusing them of things. Like, I know oh, what you did, sake. but it worked. I am really sorry, dear listeners. Um, my stomach has decided to gurgle and grunt. We can't hear any of it. Can you not hear any of it? No. Oh God, it sounds dreadful. Well, at least you haven't done something stupid like call attention to it, so now everyone's listening for it. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Oh no. <laughs> His eye for detail got him noticed, and Witcher was recruited into a new plain clothes division of proto-detectives. His specialty was catching swell mobsmen. Is he a special dick? He's skirting the line. But yes, he was going after the swell mobsmen. Right. Who are pickpockets who dressed up um, to look like they were from the upper classes, mm-hmm. so that they could prey on the areas where the rich would congregate. So, a pick a pocket or two. These were the guys who'd be outside the theatre districts, yeah. and you know all all the high class parks. They'd be taking the air around Kew Gardens. So he's um, he's changed his beat then. Oh yeah, yeah. He's moved up in the world because he's mm. going after the uh, the rich people's thieves. So they'll be where the rich people are. Mm. This new type of policing was initially kept secret as there were concerns that the people of London would feel that the police, who didn't dress like police, were somehow cheating, and that their existence might lead to resentment amongst the general population. Well, undercover constables, undercover detectives and that, that, 
they must have seemed really weird at first. I mean, we're so blasé about it all now. I mean, we have undercover cars, we have undercover, like, well, we call them plainclothes officers, don't we? Um, At the dawn of policing, that would have felt really underhand. Yeah, and that was their worry that they'd say, somehow you were cheating and you caught me in an unfair way. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, you were still committing a crime. Well, that's it, isn't it? It is. It's it's one of those... But he learnt learnt these guys intimately. And apparently there was a time when he was with the commissioner. Yeah. And they got set upon by a group of these swell mobsmen. They had a fight, which was very brave, I think, of the swell mobsmen to go after Mm. the commissioner. Mm. But once they'd finished and these guys had run off, the commissioner noticed that his... um, tie pin had gone Mm -hmm. missing and it had a diamond in it It was a diamond encrusted tie pin yeah and he was fuming i bet he was right up until witcher opened his hand and the tie pin was in his hand and he was like well how did you do that and witcher explained he was like when people are stealing Mm. they'll have little signs that they can make to each other without looking so that they can pass the stolen goods on quickly Mm. and one of them apparently is just a little little rub on the back of the hand so if you've got something in your face, someone will walk up behind you and they'll do a little rub on the back of your hand to let you know that they're one of your guys and that you can hand over the thing. And him knowing that, saw the tie pin being nicked and while he was in the middle of a brawl, took the time to just do the little sign and the guy passed it on to him, thinking it was one of the guys who was going to make a dart out the door. Oh, my God. And this, it, as you can imagine, when you manage to save the commissioner's property, mm-hmm. you know your standing goes up quite quickly. Yep. I mean, you're a damn good police officer, but now you've done something for me. I feel like you should be advanced. Yeah, it's, um, again, it's like what we've come to recognise as being quite usual now that, you know, these people would be like undercover. They get to know the criminals. They get to understand their ways, how they operate. And be able to use that against them. Yeah, that just wasn't done. No. It was you You as policemen stood outside of it and you kind of just grabbed what you could rather than getting immersed yeah. in the in the muckiness of it. Yeah. And by August of 1842, the commissioners were convinced of the need for a group of elite officers to manage the most serious investigations across multiple division lines. Ooh. So they finally convinced the Home Office to allow the formal creation of the first detective squad in the UK. <gasps> Witcher was one of only eight men to make the cut. Oh, my God. And it came... I'm so excited. Not only did he not have to wear the uh, anti-garot collar and the stovepipe hat, but it also came with the ability to grow a banging moustache. Yes! There it is. Huge moustache and a 50% increase in salary. Wow. As well as bonuses. Fab. For every case solved. Yes. Hmm. Performance? Juicy. Hmm. Witcher was naturally gifted at the work and soon gained a reputation as the go-to guy for the most complex cases. That's it, make yourself indispensable at your job. In 1849, for example, his tireless work helped in the discovery of murderers Maria Manning and her husband Frederick, who had hatched a plan to kill Maria's wealthy boyfriend, Patrick O'Connor, and steal his cash and railway shares. Ooh. It's not a subtle plan. <laughs> Subtle as a brick. Well, yeah, you'll find out. The couple invited O'Connor to their house for a meal, and while he was eating, Frederick shot him in the back of the head. Subtle. (laughs) They buried his body right there in the kitchen, (laughs) and Maria went to pick up the loot from O'Connor's house. They lifted one of the flags in the kitchen and just dug down into the dirt floor and dropped his body in it and went, that'll do. That'll do, pig, that'll Mm. do. 
By the time the body was found, the couple had double-crossed each other and each had fled with a portion of the ill-gotten spoils. Mm. Witcher and his colleagues only took a few weeks to track Maria down to Edinburgh and Frederick was apprehended on the Isle of Jersey, a good 600 miles apart from each other, which I think just goes to show how much they hated each other and didn't trust each other. Mm-hmm. Now, how far can we get away and still be within the confines of Britain? Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, she was eventually going to head sort of up towards Inverness and then onward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> torn away. Yep, that's where she was at. That's where she was ultimately <laughs> trying to be. We'll each pick an island as far yeah. apart from each other and that's where we'll go. The two were tried in October 1849 and sentenced to death. Wow. Our good friend, William Colcraft. There he is. Hung them at Horsemonger Lane Jail. And it was the first time a simultaneous husband and wife execution had taken place in over a hundred years. Well, there you go. So naturally, drew a massive crowd. Oh, yeah, I bet it was a right juicy one. And apparently... Popcorn sellers, balloons, the words. This is quite lovely. Apparently they reconciled while on death row. While in the condemned cells. Well, I suppose if you're going to... Well, yeah, because they'll go up to heaven. They'll go all down to hell. They'll, we'll leave it to your imagination, guys. Where they go, but they're probably going to be together. Yeah. So it's, it's good that they made amends. Mm. And work on these sorts of high-profile cases led to Witcher becoming inspector by 1856. So he's, inspector. he's getting there. Soon he'll be running the division. Yes. He justified his promotion in 1858 when he caught the valet who had made off with the Leonardo da Vinci painting Virgin and Child from the Earl of Suffolk. No. And that's, I mean, you're talking about high-profile cases. Yeah. A Leonardo da Vinci was stolen. da Vinci. Yeah. Wow. But being an inspector meant that he was also responsible for mentoring the next generation of detectives. And he took a shine to one particular man, an intelligent and resourceful young detective called Richard Dick Tanner. (laughs) Tanner's back! He is. Right, I've been waiting for this. We did an episode for, if you haven't heard it and joe's gonna tell you which episode now because it was not called tanner and clark the first murder on a train the first murder on a train featured a crime fighting duo you've got to listen to the whole story though because they don't come into the last third of the story Mm. um but you fell in love a little bit with richard tanner richard tanner and clark yeah tanner and clark they were an epic crime fighting duo and tanner's back Tanner's back. This is the origin this of Tanner. This is the or- origin. So if you think about it, right, because we, we came up with this analogy when we were researching Tanner and Clark, didn't we? So Tanner is... Morse. Morse. So he's Endeavour Morse, if you will. Clark, Clark was Lewis. is Lewis. And if you watch Endeavour... The prequel. The prequel. You're looking at your George Thursday character mm. is the guy we're talking about today. Yes. So that's your analogy. For all the ITV viewers out there. For all your ITV, and if you're not in the UK, if you can get those, fantastic. Well done you. So yes, Richard Dick Tanner, who he often called on to assist in the more cerebral cases, such as the case of a £12,000 jewellery heist in 1859. Oh wow, are we going to hear about the heist? Well, a little bit. (laughs) Though the heist had taken place in Paris... Witcher and Tanner were able to follow the trail of clues across the channel back to England, where they finally ran the thieves to ground in a house in Stoke Newington. Recovering the stolen jewellery, 
and making headlines in the process because these thieves tried to stab them. So it was a proper high-stakes game. Mm. Oh, I'm loving this story already. While he pursued criminals with an almost Terminator-like focus, Mm -hmm. Witcher was reported to also be a very fair man. Okay. Agreeing at times to share a consolation drink with a criminal once caught, or suggesting that he would not bother to use the handcuffs if the criminal agreed not to run, saying, I am willing to behave as a man to you if you are willing to behave as a man to me. Oh, I like him. Oh, he's... I won't put the cuffs on you, but if you no. run, oh, we don't have any such thing as CCTV or body cams, so I will beat the ever-loving shit out of you. Mm-hmm. And then I will say you fell down a flight of stairs. Yeah, he goes a bit Gene Hunt on him. Don't you ever cross me. <laughs> I am Jack Witcher, yeah. scourge of the underworld. Witcher was actually known as the Prince of Detectives. Oh. And it was believed that there was not a case that it was beyond his skill to solve. That was, Mm -hmm. until one fateful day in 1860. Because during the early morning of June 30th, a tragedy befell the Kent family who lived at Road Hill House in the village of Road in Somerset. It's right on the Somerset um, Wiltshire border. Oh, right. So, really, not that far from where we lived. No, no. We have been through road. We have, have we? We have rode thr- through road. We've rode through road on the way down to, to Cheddar. Cheddar Gorge. We went through road. <laughs> Joe will never take me back to Cheddar ever again because I love Cheddar. No, because we went into the <laughs> Tolkien-inspired cave with the animatronics yeah. and we got to the last big cavern that had the dragon in it and you saw that there was some uh, light show going on from the people in front of us because you could only go in one at a time, yeah. like one group at a time, and you asked to be ushered out of a side door. <laughs> so I've never seen the Dark Lord and the Dragon in the last cave. Right. Side note, I am neurodivergent, and that whole scenario sends me into a cold sweat, okay? It, it's not it, It's not okay in my brain. You also refuse to climb the big tower. Yeah, I just don't like heights. That's like half of the things that you do in Cheddar Gorge. You went into the Cheddar Caves, fair enough. And we I went on the bus tour. Yeah, and enough. I did I did most of the other cave. <laughs> most. <laughs> I'd say you got 80% of the other cave. Anyway, we went through this road. Let's we hear did. about the tragedy. I'd forgotten we were there. Right, okay, Rather yeah. than reminiscing, let's hear about a tragedy. This was the second iteration of the Kent family, as the first Mrs Kent, Mary Ann, had died after reportedly going mad. Right. This was completely understandable, considering she'd given birth to ten children in 15 years by that point. Good Lord, that's some going. Interestingly, though, her madness was first described after the birth of child number four, which means right. he had a mad wife who was known to be mad, but he was still sleeping with her and impregnating her. For six more For children. For six more children. Do you, not, do you not just think it might... The madness, if you will, mm. if that's what we're calling it. I don't really like that term, to be honest. I'm using the term that they used back then. Yeah. What we're looking at is something that waxed and waned, so something like um, post, bipolar. I'm going to say postnatal depression. Or postnatal depression, it could Because I'm not being funny. If you're popping out kids at that regularity, you're not giving your body any chance. You're up and down. Or postnatal, what, um, postnatal psychosis, it could be. Quite, wow. quite possibly, really. 
there's lots of things that it could be. All we have from the sort of this time period was mad, probably hysteria. Her womb's moving about again. Mom, it probably bloody is. It's loose. Yes, probably. <laughs> Rattle that womb loose. <laughs> yes, um, she died of a loose womb. Of a loose womb. Uh, on May 5th, 1842. Poor woman. And her widower, Samuel, the patriarch of this family, quickly got married. The arsehole who, who couldn't give to shiny shits. I can't really argue against that, considering what the next sentence says. Go on. Quickly got married again Bet to the did. former living governess, Mary Drew Platt. You know. You know that they'd already had a dalliance at that point. That was too smooth. Well, there were rumours. Uh, <laughs> bet there bloody were. There was whisperings below stairs. I tell you, upstairs, downstairs, be all over that. There were whisperings in the town that they lived because they, they weren't living in Road at this point. They'd been living somewhere else. They had to move to Road because of the scandal. For shame. Yeah. Right. They also, they didn't get married where they were living. They went to London to get married went back to where they were living then and went, actually, even though we've done the wedding as a quickie and secret, we're still going to have to just gonna get out of here. We're going to have to move because there'll be pitchforks at We're going to have to move to a village of 500 people mm-hmm. and we're going to have to be incredibly secretive and aloof, which and is quiet. what they were. Yeah. Wow. He had three further children with Mary. Mm. Mary number two, because the first one was also called Mary. Because <laughs> at least 50% of the population of England at that point were called mm. Mary, it seems. <laughs> yeah. And they were expecting number four. when they awoke to find that their son four-year-old Savile was missing do you know what that's really sad that would be that is literally my worst nightmare Mm. speaking as we did at the very 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 beginning just ramblings um our little boy's only four so that's like my worst nightmare yeah so he he was missing Mm. a search was arranged and the family sent for the police they ended up with two one called Urch, and another called James Morgan. Right. A police constable from the Somerset Force, and a parish policeman, respectively. Mm. Because although we were moving towards sort of like a professionalised police force, mm. in this area of Somerset, they still had the parish police system, which was basically, you were on a rotor, yeah. and for a year, you basically had to do it as a, an unpaid position alongside whatever else you did. Mm-hmm. Uh the two, the real policeman and the parish policeman, just so happened to be neighbours. So it was convenient either way. Yeah. You yeah. weren't going any further distance to get... No. Yeah. And it just goes to show how much the policing system of the UK was in flux in the mm-hmm. middle of the eight, uh, the 1800s. Mm. The news of the Savile... Uh, the Savile's? Sorry. <laughs> the Savile. The news of Savile's disappearance was soon all over the little village, and a few enterprising villagers decided to help join in the search. You always get them, don't you? It was two of these villagers who decided to have a look in the outhouse near the shrubbery in the garden, which was specifically kind of used by the tradesmen so that they didn't have to let them into the house. Because, again, they were very aloof, very sort of private people, the Kents. Yeah, well, for shame, yeah. As you would be, yeah. Yeah. Lighting a candle and peering down into the cesspit below. Cesspit? Yeah. Yeah, because it was just a long drop into a pit. Oh, God. Thomas Benger and William Nutt. Mm-hmm. Nutt and Benger. Nutt and Benger. Not the best team. No. They, <laughs> they s- are no Tanner and Clark, I tell you now. Well, they did manage to do some detecting because they found the body of Savile Kent oh. lying on the splashboard about two feet below the hole, still wrapped in a blanket from his cot. Oh, my. His throat had been cut from ear to ear 
and his heart had been stabbed at least two times. What the hell? Well, yes. He's four-year-old. Frenzied attack or a passionate attack. Very deliberate On murder. A very tiny child. But mm-hmm. you're already starting to think, why, who, how? Well, I'm, I'm thinking what a sick wanker did that. Let's find out. Naturally, due to the location of the body and the nature of the crime, suspicion fell immediately on the servants and family members living in Roadhill House. Mm-hmm. Because Samuel Kent was known for locking the house up tight each night. Mm. And he had a guard dog roaming the grounds. It was a big St Bernard, apparently. Making it highly unlikely that an intruder had managed to break into the house, steal into the nursery, were the um, new sort of, um, what, what would you call a nursemaid? The new governess, governess was sleeping. I would have said, yeah. Take the child without anyone noticing. Mary Poppins. If and you will. know about the overgrown outhouse to go and um, dispose of young Savile. Yeah, there's too much insider knowledge there for mm. it, at it, least not to be somebody who's very well known to the family. The, mm. You know, so the the search. Considering so that could be quite small. The the um, Samuel and Mary's bedroom was right next to the nursery where the kids and the nursemaid were. Mm. So you open the wrong door, it's all gone Pete Tong very quickly. Yeah, the 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 possibilities there are actually quite small. You'd have to know the house. You wouldn't just try random doors. Mm. And also, with a four year old, the chances are the governess is probably in with them. Now one of the one of the um, windows in the drawing room they mm. were like full length mm-hmm. was raised up about six inches but they were all locked and bolted from the inside the night before mm. so only someone who was already in the house could have opened those and mm. there were no signs of a break in anywhere right so no scratch doors no Nothing. broken glass no nobody come up through the basement that was no. that's another one no nobody Tight scaled as a drum. the roof come down in the roof no no, no. right okay we're, we're pretty Confident that it's a a locked sort of door mystery Mm, kind of thing. From the start, though, Mm. the local police, led by an inspector, Foyle, who just so happened to be good friends with Samuel Kent, Mm. because although he didn't like the the locals, he liked the people of influence in the the town and tried to be civil to them. He decided not to treat everyone in the household in the same way. For example, the nursemaid who had been asleep in the same room as Savile, Eliza Dallimore, was attended by a female searcher. Right. Which is exactly what it sounds like. Oh, right. So they brought a woman in to, you know, take it off and spread them. Mm. Hoping to find what? Incriminating evidence. A signs knife of, up a nunny? Signs of blood, blood splatter on her clothes. Anything that might, you know, show that she was the, the thing. Right. She and the other servants were all forced to strip and to spread. But the Kemp family were not subjugated to the same treatment. None of the other people in the house were. Were you thinking, hmm, murdering an infant, you feel it might be familial. You just... Well, I think it's... Because we're looking at it from from modern day thinking, we know now, because of cases like this, mm. that your more likely thing is the parents, isn't it? Or Or an auntie or an uncle or a somebody very close yeah you know that now they wouldn't have known that then well they searched all the servants nothing turned up they searched the house didn't find anything they said that 
it looked as though the the cot you know was very nicely made up like it had been drawn back carefully mm. to get him out and from that they they um, extrapolated it's probably a woman because uh, a man wouldn't be able to carefully fold back sheets which is quite the leap but also you feels kind of accurate <laughs> It's like you can't say that based on that, but also, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I'd, I'd... <laughs> again. I mean, I can only go from our own personal experience, but I only said to you today that Evie gets out of bed and you'd barely know she was in it. Milo looks like a disaster. He's been hiding several wild animals under his bed, hmm. um, in his bed, and has nested with them hmm. overnight. That's that's just. <laughs> But aside from that sort yeah. of supposition, mm. they searched the grounds as well, nothing. Right, so they've not even found a murder weapon. No. And they decided they'd need to call the bigwigs in London to request a detective oh, to help so in this investigation. So Horatio Waddington oh. was the official in London who received this request, and he naturally refused, saying that they had a proper police force themselves now and they should just get on with it. Mm-hmm. We're not sending someone to bleed in Somerset just because you can't solve because a simple baby murder. Yeah. Because you're inept. And get on with it, they did. In the worst possible way. Oh, I bet it was abysmal. On the very first night of the investigation, mm-hmm. Inspector Foyle handed responsibility for instructing his police officers as to what to do over to Samuel Kent. So he sent his police officers to the house and said, Kent will tell you what to do. I don't need to be there for this. It's not like the first night would be a great opportunity for whoever the murderer is to dispose of things, to move things. So what we'll do is we'll let one of the people who was in that house and should be considered a murder suspect Mm. tell you what to do. And Samuel did. He told them to hide in the kitchen in case someone tried to burn evidence in the fire there. It was not the only fire in the building. Let me point that out. There were many fires where you could burn things. Yeah, probably practically every room, I would imagine. Mm. He then promptly locked the two officers in the kitchen. Swear to God. Meaning that anyone could have disposed of any incriminating evidence in any other fire. They could have, you know, walked down to the local pub and burnt it in their fire. They could have gone to the river at the bottom of the garden, chucked it in there. All of it without the police knowing. Mm Mm-hmm. Kent also resisted requests to supply floor plans of the house and was very uneasy about his own family even being questioned. Yeah, at which point, as I'm just thinking, there are 18 Mm. children. No, not all of them are living there. So you have four from the first marriage there at this point and the three kids from the second marriage. So there are seven kids, mum and dad, so that's nine, and then you've got about five servants. Right. So it's, it's a lot of people, but again... It is a lot of people. The vast majority of them, he's saying, no, you can't question them. No, no, I'm not happy with that. I, I don't want to tell you the floor plan of my house. Well, that's suspicious in and of itself, isn't Which it? Which led to time being wasted while the uh, <laughs> the police were measuring it out themselves. I swear to God. To get a rough idea. So it's, Could it, you imagine? It's just like, how big a red flag do you actually need? Well... The Kents themselves, they'd only lived in Rome for a few years by this point, and they were almost universally hated by the locals. Well, there you go. And there were many reasons for this. They made complaints about the people who lived in the cottages across the road, uh, that they basically amounted to the poor. I don't like living near the poor. It's like, well, you bought a house. Well, then leave. Yeah. 
they were here first. And to be honest, they've got much less an opportunity to move than you do. Mm. So <clears throat> as they were hated, they weren't local. They hadn't tried to ingratiate themselves. Rumours of a cover-up started almost immediately. Duh. The locals hated Samuel Kent due in part to his job as a factory inspector, where he had the audacity to stop children being put to work, which was noble in theory, but deprived very poor families of essential income. Mm. So it's like, you, you, I've stopped you from going to work. It's like, great, now I can't eat. Very much a double-edged sword there. Mm. And they were seeing it purely from the point of view of you're depriving us of the ability to live. Mm. Um, But also because, like I said, he was aloof. Mm. He built a high fence around the entirety of his property to keep people out. You see, people don't like that. And he prevented the locals from fishing in the River Foss near his house, which was, again, it was, you know, the poor people would use that as a way of supplementing their protein. And he would chase them off his land. So is it right? Wow. Yeah, it's like, this is technically my stretch of the river. It's like, god damn. Are you going to fish it? No, but that's not the point. They're, they're my fish while they're in my river. Bloody paupers. Yes. Wait until I go further down the river and then you can fish them there. It was common knowledge that he had married the woman who had been employed to tend to his first wife during her final illness as quickly as he could, suggesting to most people that they had been having an affair while no. his wife, who again had bore him ten children, was actively dying. And as you can imagine, a lot of people frowned on this. Yeah, so you're not going to come out well in that situation, are you, really? Also, specific to this case, Kent had immediately started suggesting that the poor factory workers who lived nearby were likely the culprits for his son's murder. How? Well, he's not a details guy. He's a, he's a No, he's a no-details guy. He's a broad-strokes guy. No, he's not even a broad strokes guy. That's just randomly pointing a finger. Yeah. That's like saying, it's you deflecting. know, kind of like Gregory the Butcher. Yeah, it was definitely him. He had a knife. Well, they pointed out that uh, Nut and Benga, they were like, well, they found the body. They obviously knew that the, the toilet existed. Why aren't you questioning them? Why Why does it have to be my family? Why couldn't it be them? They're poor. They're just jealous of my family and the fact that we have money. So they've taken it out on, on my son, an heir. Well, it was obviously God damn just them. not that well hidden. Hmm. Also, all of these people had, in the time before um, Roadhill House was bought, it'd been um, empty for a couple of years, and everybody had had a little snoop around. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not being funny. It's just like you just imagine they were doing the, you know, their initial sweep of the house, if you will, and you know, kind of like scoping it all out, and one of them needed a piss. Mm. No, you can't piss in the house. You have to go and use the overgrown outhouse out there. Yes, of course. You know what I mean? It, it's like. It could have been some been something as simple as that, and yet yeah, they found him oh, because yeah. one of them needed a wee. No, no, they got, they gone specifically to search it for the body. Okay, which you would do, I suppose. You got to you got to check everywhere, haven't you? And to be honest, if the splashboard that had only been put in a few years before hadn't been there, bloop, 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 mm. probably never would have found him. Yeah. Now, while the police were doing all they could to appease Kent and his family, local magistrates decided, based on nothing but rumours of previous infidelity, that Samuel had been at it again with the maid, Elizabeth Goth, and that the two had killed Savile when he woke and caught them in the act. Right. So that's that's their working theory. That's their working theory, right. That he didn't try and, you know, convince his son that he was seeing something else, or Mm -mm. da-da-da-da-da, he just immediately slashed his throat. Yes. Naturally, though, as Samuel was wealthy, 
they only asked that the maid be arrested. It's like, we think it was Samuel and the maid. Well, we can't arrest Samuel. Let's arrest the maid. Can I just say what I think's happened at this point? Okay. I think she... The maid? No, the wife... The wife, Mary. Mary Mary II. Mary II. Had an affair and Savile wasn't his and he found out. Okay. That's my working theory. That's your working theory. What are you basing in that on? The fact that she will sleep with married men? Yeah. Okay, (laughs) cool. Well. (laughs) The fact that it takes two to tango and she's just as culpable as he is in, you know. Well, they arrested Elizabeth Goth and she stuck with her story of, I went to sleep, I woke up, Savile wasn't there, Mm. but the covers had been pulled back nicely, so I assumed his mother had come through and got him. Mm -hmm. Um. And she didn't deviate from that story Mm -hmm. at all. And the local police spent a fortnight getting nowhere from this point. I bet they didn't because there was nothing to get, was there? Two weeks before Witcher was finally sent on the 14th of June to sort out their mess. Yeah. Come on, Witcher. Don't let me down, lad. Come on. This was the day after, after they had considered, seriously considered an offer of a... of a phrenologist to help uncover the killer. So a phrenologist are the people who measure the bumps on your head. I was going to say, a phrenolo- phrenology is the bump feeling. To find out who the criminal was. So they were like, hmm, should we... Should criminal we... bumps. right? Criminal okay, bumps or we might want to send to London again. Okay, no, I no, I feel to... good about bumpy man. I think we need to just kind of like expand on that because I'm not... So there was theory in psychology that you could tell a person a person's personality and type if mm. you will uh, by feeling your head so because the skull be, having your bumps felt expand to accommodate growth in certain areas of the brain yes so if you had a certainly a developed area of the brain you could sort of link that to what it what it did so you could tell if somebody was likely to be a thief you could tell if someone was likely to be violent but that that's why Mm. um in kind of like psychologist offices and they have the head they they have the head with the little partitions all over it because it would all link in theory and that's called phrenology i just thought we'd best just kind of like match that in because i'm not sure that it was done all over the world either so like other countries i'm not sure whether they would do it apply it was debunked we should add as well it was debunked it's it doesn't your skull doesn't grow um, based on your behaviour and that exercising the brain like a muscle, because the brain is not a muscle. No, and also, if you have a bumpy head, you might just have a bumpy head. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you know, do. for some reason. And you're still beautiful out there, you bumpy headers. <laughs> Witch's job was made even harder by the mm. fact that his arrival coincided with a £200 reward being offered for anyone who could identify the murderer leading to hundreds of tips being mailed into the police. You know what? So they asked, basically, open season, anyone who's got a pet theory. Because Mm -hmm. this was being reported in the newspapers, and it was one of those first cases that really caused hysteria. Oh, God, yeah. Have you considered... Well, could you imagine the hysteria? I mean, this is involving, let's not forget, a four-year-old child... Mm. In a private... In a private... Middle-class home. ...dwelling, killed in... A disgusting way mm. in the middle of the night and dumped like and a they piece did have no idea who the killer is and no idea and it seemed like the killer had been able to get in and out of that house at will yeah. leaving no With trace a dog as well yeah. there's a you know 
which I had practically no evidence to work with. So I had to work on instinct alone. Come on, which He got do down to business down. and he reckoned up, because that's his term for it. Love it. He reckoned up each of the suspects. He quickly noted that the children of the first marriage were all living on the top floor with the servants, suggesting that they were less favoured. Mm-hmm. Added to this, it was only two of these children, 16-year-old Constance and 14-year-old William, who had their own rooms, meaning that they were the most likely to be able to move about undetected. Mm-hmm. It would also explain why Savile had not reacted to being taken from his cot, as he had no reason to be alarmed if he was taken by a family member he knew well. Mm-hmm. Focusing in on the two older Kents, mm. which had discovered that Constance was reported to be missing a nightdress, which she could not account for. Mm-hmm. This was the little thing that niggled at his brain, and he became sure that Constance was the killer. You see, I I said I said about the other children, mm. and especially, I mean, it. You didn't even need to tell me that he'd favour the new children over the old children. Mm. If you that sounds stupid. There were two sisters who were a lot older. They were upstairs in they shared a room. Mm. Uh, Constance and William had their own rooms, despite the fact that they'd been sent away to boarding schools. Jesus, uh, well, that, see, there's resentment right there. Yeah. Uh, and they were only allowed back for, for holidays, which mm. this just so happened to be. Looking into her past behaviour, Jack Witcher left Road to chase up a lead in the city of Bath, some ten miles away. Oh, we love Bath. Speaking to the landlord of the Greyhound Inn, I don't know if it's still there. It is. Is you it? You pass it on the way in. Okay. There you go. So you, you know where, where um, yes. Witcher went. Yes. He was told that four years earlier, on July 17th, 1856... Constance had convinced her brother William to run away with her to sea. Right. Because they were very unhappy. Right. She no, had... no kind of familial dalliance then? They were very close, but there was never any suggestion okay, of... Okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah. She had stashed some boys' clothes in the same outhouse where Savile had been found mm. and cut her hair off with a knife before throwing it and the dress she'd been wearing down into the cesspit. Ah, uh, repeated behaviour. Mm. They had walked to Bath and had tried to rent a room for the night at the Greyhound when they had been recognised and their father had been informed. Oh, for God's sake. Interestingly, the landlord noted that while William was very remorseful after being caught, mm. Constance was not. If anything, she was mildly annoyed. <laughs> mm. That was the incident that got them sent to boarding school. Ah, uh. Or uh, naughty kid school. Pretty like, much. This yeah. was very much naughty kid school. Well, if you don't like being here so much... if you, Borstal for yeah, you. You can go to a, a different school. Witcher took the time to interview Constance's friends and they reported that she used to talk about teasing and pinching the younger children out of jealousy. Right. He also tracked down former nursemaid Emma Sparks. Oh, who, right. Who told him that Constance had once exposed Savile by taking off his blanket and bed socks the year prior to the murder. Right. She added that Constance really liked reading about crime in the Times newspapers her dad had delivered, stealing them when her stepmother tried to hide editions containing particularly gruesome stories. Mm. So the gorier the better for her. And the, the family noted it to the point where they had to hide newspapers. Right, okay, yeah. This is The, the profile is mm. There was fitting. one specifically, um, there was a lady poisoner that she became rather obsessed with and she wanted to follow it every day and they just had to stop taking the times for a few weeks. 
Yeah. They're like, just it, stop delivering it because no matter where we hide it, you just think she gets as it. Well, it's like she's only 16 mm. now. Yeah. She was obsessed with the fact that this woman was so close to getting away with murdering someone. Yeah. And she, she said that openly. Yeah. It, I mean, the profile, I mean, his absolute gut instinct is at this point, unless mm. there's more evidence, spot on. Well, he was convinced that he had his murderer. Mm. But he knew all he had was circumstantial evidence. So he kept trying yeah. to find the knife, trying to find the nightdress, because he felt those two pieces of evidence the would nightdress seal would be it. Burnt. It would that would be long gone. Mm. But he was getting pressured to solve the case. They were like, Well, you've been here a couple of days now. Mm. What are you doing? Mm. Never mind the fact that they've fucked it up for several weeks. Yeah. It's like, well, you've come here with your balls all shiny. <laughs> Yeah. Where's, where's our murderer? Your chop's all choppy, yeah. your stash all stashy. And Witcher decided he was going to have to bow to the pressure to solve the case, and he arrested Constance on July 20th. Now, the locals saw that Witcher was going in to make an arrest, and they were sure that he was going to come out with Samuel Kent. Yes. So when he came out with a 16-year-old girl who looked shell-shocked, mm. they were very angry at him. I they were they convinced were. that he... He was part of the cover-up yep. for Samuel Kent. Oh, come on, don't, don't. And they weren't happy at all. And that hostile oh, sort come of... Come on, Witcher. Come on, Witcher. That hostile view of what he'd done was carried through to the magistrates. Um, now, Witcher had hoped that by arresting her and confronting her directly, he would be able to shock her into a confession. Mm. And to be fair, if this was a Poirot story, that's exactly what would have happened. Because how many Poirot stories... Yeah end without any actual verifiable evidence ever being produced so many so many poirots are mm. no circumstantial evidence mm. um sorry so it's all circumstantial yeah. evidence if you will or hearsay or gut instinct mm. if you will it, it's all it's all along those lines and then you'll you literally shock somebody into confession mm. that's poirot's style and he'd used it witcher many times on the hardened criminals of london to good effect yeah you know, he bluffed that he knew more or that he found something, mm-hmm. then they confessed. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for Witcher, though, Constance was made of sterner stuff and she maintained that she was completely innocent. <laughs> she was sin that the locals were scandalised and she thought, well, I'll just, I'll just say I'm innocent. Mm. If What's he's, he if he's got proof, he'll show the proof. Mm. And as she spent more and more days in jail, the locals began to turn on Witcher and his London ways... Because they were convinced he got it wrong. Oh, no. Witcher asked for more time to follow up on the leads, but was given just a week to make the case. Oh, come on, Witcher, don't let me down, lad. Knowing he needed help, Witcher sent to Scotland Yard, asking that he be sent either Tanner or Williams, his two best detectives. Come on, Tanner. Alas, Tanner was otherwise engaged. No! So it was Williams. No. Better known to all as Dolly, who made the trip to assist the investigation. I'm not happy now. Well, here's the thing, though. Just because Tanner's not in Somerset doesn't mean Tanner doesn't want to help. And he managed, off his own back, to track down and interview a Mrs. Gollop, who had worked for the Kents while the first Mrs. Kent was alive. (gasps) I love this. I'm so excited. He found some backstory. And this wha- would make an amazing TV show. It did. Imagine. It did. We'll get to it, but it did. Oh, my God. 
unfortunately, even though Tanner had gone and found this woman of his own volition to try and help his boss out, she confirmed that both the servants and the first Mrs. Kent, who was still alive at the time, were convinced that Mr. Kent was having an affair with his maid. (gasps) The current Mrs. Kent, which only added to the circumstantial evidence against Samuel and didn't help at all with Constance because Miss Gollop went, I never noticed anything wrong with little Constance. But of course, that would be before her mum died and was replaced immediately. So why would she be acting out at that point? And the kids, I assume, at that point would be the primary focus because they wouldn't be the other children, Mm. if you know what I mean. The first lot, the first wave. So Tanner had gone out, he's like, I'll help you, boss. And then he's sending a report, she's going, I'm so sorry. But all I heard sort of points to Kent. I'm sorry. It seems like Samuel's a bit of a dirty dog. You wee dirty dog. Tanner sent the report through to Witcher, who wasn't particularly happy with the contents, but it had been good police work, and I'm sure well, he thanked him. I, I think a big green tick for effort. Mm. Yeah, you, you, can't, you can't judge what a person by the outcome. And... I'm just going to say I like Tanner regardless. Mm, I know you do. Because he's a bit of a hero of mine. In one last desperate attempt to locate the nightdress and the murder weapon, which he felt sure would confirm Constance's guilt, Witcher had some locals take apart the privy and sift through the cesspool. Oh, my. It did not find anything. He then... (laughs) And I know not how, so don't ask. (laughs) Ordered that the level of the river Froom be lowered so that it could be successfully dredged. And they did it. I do not know how they managed it, but they Damn did it. it. They would have damned it. I mean, that's a big ask, isn't it? Right. Change the water course of the major river in the area. But all was in vain. Oh. With no concrete evidence and sympathetic magistrates who were convinced that Samuel was the person, Constance was freed, while Witcher was denounced in Parliament because it was a big scandal. It was a big thing. And the fact that the best of London's Metropolitan Police Force had Mm. not been able to solve it. Parliament were questioning whether there was any point in having a detective division if they're so slapdash and if they just go around arresting young women. Randomly, for Random young women. So, yeah, he was denounced in Parliament despite the fact that he solved a multiple murder almost as soon as he arrived back in London. It wasn't that he's not a good detective, it's that you can't give a local bumbling police force two weeks messing up absolutely everything and then expecting to come imagine? in and solve I it. I bet they trampled over anything that could have possibly have been evidence mm. as well. Yeah, and there were there were things that came out. So they had found an underdress that was covered in blood. It was soiled and covered in blood. Right. And when they sort of said, well, what's this? They just went, oh... Um, lady things. Lady things. And they went, ugh! Yeah. And threw it away and it disappeared. For fuck's sake. Yeah, because they were like, oh, we don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Like, oh my God. It's got lady juice on yeah. it. Yeah. You know, it's Goodness just. Sake. So you had a piece of what we call evidence. Yeah. And you lay it away. And like, did you search the knife room? Because they had a knife room um, out in the outhouses. I don't know why. That's where they cleaned and sharpened the knives. No, didn't search that for the first couple of days. And then when they did, it turned out all the knives were really clean. Really super shiny. Would you believe? Yeah. Almost like it's scrubby, scrubby, scrub, scrub. Anyway, although, you know, they've been absolved in the eyes of the magistrates, Mm. 
the rumours didn't dissipate and they were booed, the Kents, whenever they left their property. Good. On the way to church, they Good. would be roundly booed. I mean, no, I, I feel sorry for the other children now mm. because that's not of their making at all. But you, you better believe that those parents knew exactly what had happened well, and they are just covering up so badly. Mm. We don't. We don't know. We do. We don't. We do. But the Kents decided to leave Road in 1861, selling not only the house, but also all the contents. How how much they wanted to just get the hell out of there and have no memories of the place. And Constance was sent to a finishing school in France. Because even though she had not been convicted, you do feel the family was still a little concerned about leaving her around the other small children. Mm. After all, Mrs Kent had just given birth to another baby boy. So number four. Yeah. As for Witcher, the publicity around his failure caused him to lose his mojo. He felt his look had changed, and after another murder investigation where he had identified the killer but could not find the evidence to prove it, Jack Witcher left the police aged 49 in 1864. I am so sad. This has made me so sad. The very next year, Constance, who had been spending her time in a remote convent, went to the court in Bow Street to confess to a murder. Really? Yeah. But as Witcher was no longer imposed, it was up to Dolly Williams, who was now the lead detective, Mm -hmm. to sort things out. Mm. He looked to his good friend Dick Tanner, who was fresh from solving the first train murder, to track (gasps) down the maidservant Elizabeth Goff, who had understandably tried to disappear after Mm. all of the unpleasantness. I bet. Naturally, Tanner did it in double quick time. Oh, do you know what? He's so efficient. He's so deliciously efficient, is Tanner. Witcher mm. was contacted and asked if he would give his account of the investigation again, mm. this time with the vindication of his suspect having confessed in full and having given details that almost completely matched his suspicions. Constance pled guilty at the subsequent trial and was sentenced to death. She showed almost no reaction. Wow. However, she was a young girl from a good middle-class family, Mm. and had confessed after finding God. Right. She had a priest and a nun speak to her character as part of her plea in mitigation. Right. So there was predictable clamour from the public for her sentence to be commuted. Mm. Queen Victoria. She obliged her subjects, and Constance was instead sentenced to a life sentence and sent to Millbank Prison. Mm. which was around a mile from Jack Witch's house because <laughs> it's in the centre of London Millbank. For God's sake. Witcher celebrated his vindication by getting married and becoming a private investigator, a job he enjoyed thoroughly until he died in 1881. Mm. So he, he got his second wind. He got his second wind. And you know what? I bet he was just like, I bloody knew it. Mm. I bloody knew it. Four years later, in 1885, after 20 years inside, Mm. Constance was released from prison. That's not life. No. Well, the minimum term was 20 years that she had to serve. And after 20 years of her being penitent and praising God, they let her out. She emigrated to Australia. Did she? Changed her name to Ruth Emily Kay. K-A-Y-E or K-A-Y? K-A-Y-E. Yeah, I say it's not a real K. Us real K's don't have the E. No, I've looked into your family tree. Um, So this is your great-great-aunt. <laughs> oh, God, no, it's not. 
and lived secretly with her brother's family because William had become a world-leading expert on aquatic environments and was obsessed with coral at the time. Of course he was. Why not? No, apparently some of his books are, like, still gold standard. He did his own illustrations. They are beautiful. He was, like, a world-leading expert. He worked in um, Bristol Aquarium. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, Bristol Brighton Aquarium. Mm -hmm. He worked in London Aquarium. He was, like, the go-to expert for the the flora and fauna of uh, of the tropical ocean. And not a not a murderer, no. so you know. Well, there were always questions about did she have an accomplice? And if she did Who the was only it? person it could have been was William. Was William because everyone else could alibi each other. He was the only other person without an alibi, basically. And they were very close and she had convinced him to do things against his own So it'd be coercion. Yeah, yeah. She'd be the lead in it. Hmm. But there was always that query. Because they said the stabbing motions to the heart, they were like and the deepness of the neck wound, they were like, she said she did it with a razor blade mm. that she'd stolen from her dad, wiped down and replaced a couple of days later, which they would have found if they'd have done a thorough search. Yep. But they didn't. They got themselves locked in a kitchen. I swear to God. And they only noticed that they were locked in the kitchen after six hours when one of them needed a wee. It was the most bumbling. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, Ruth Kay... She trained as a nurse and was put in charge of looking after children. Oh, my God. At the Parramatta Industrial School for Girls. I can't. Because there was no such thing as a DBS check back then. Have you ever posed uh, any kind of harm to children? No, no. Maybe for five minutes back in the 1860s. No, no, no. No, not at all. Amazingly, she was able to keep her secret for the rest of her life even appearing in the Sydney Morning Herald in 1944. No. To mark her 100th birthday. So she lived to be 100, never mind the fact that she killed her brother at the age of four and dumped him in a long drop. Yep. She died later the same year, so she only made it to 100. Don't. Jack Witcher is thought to be the inspiration for some of the first literary detectives, including Inspector Bucket in Bleak House. Yep and Sergeant Cuff in the Wilkie Collins novel, The Moonstone. Mm. The idea of a mystery being unravelled within a closed group of seemingly respectable people and revealing all of the mm-hmm. naughty little secrets in the process mm. subsequently became the trope for detective fiction. Yep, it is. Agatha Christie? <laughs> yeah. What she basically did was rewrote... Conan Doyle? Yeah, they rewrote this story. Oh, yes, there's a bit of... Um... Sherlock. Yeah, there's a bit bit of witcher in sherlock which means that even though constance became a certified centurion in many ways jack witcher has managed to outlive her i think so oh and the source that i used the suspicions of mr witcher or the murder at roadhill house by katie summerscale and like i say shortly after the book was released somebody went like you did this would make a banging TV series. Mm. So they did. And you can watch The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher. I don't know what channel it's on, but we could find it and you could sit and you could watch it. Oh my God. If that I'd, is something you would like to do. And I'd I believe somebody that. takes on the role of Richard Tanner. <gasps> I believe you will see. I nearly knocked the entire microphone off the table then in my excitement. Oh my God. No. Yes. <gasps> I know. Sighting times. 
if it's if it's one of my favourite actors, I think I might just die on the spot. <laughs> That'd just be imagine, imagine the meld. Okay, I believe he's played by someone called um, Alfred Molina. Oh my god, could you imagine? <laughs> That'd be amazing. A young, I think he's French, Philippe Glenister. <laughs> Funny. Yep. Oh god, no! Could you imagine? Oh my god. So, I waited to bring you that story but I feel like you liked the story of I mean it is about the first detective Jack yeah. Witcher but yes. also it's the origin story of Tanner it's the it's it's everything yeah it's all the things so it's the first detective I love detectives I know you do They're which is why this so story hard. is so hard um, it's Tanner's origin story please I urge you if you haven't listened Emma's never normally this passionate about the episodes we do. To, if you haven't listened to the first train murder episode that we did, what was it actually called? Because we didn't call it the that. first murder on a train. Was it? Was yeah, it literally called the called. first murder on the train? Right. Well, literally, go and listen to it now because it'll chronologically make sense and you'll get to meet Tanner in all his glory. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric, here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.